supposed to start with these operation programs first. As Major Barton said, let's do something a little more fun. How about combat training? kung fu in seconds like neo did in the matrix but learning technology has come a long way over the past decade with the impending launch of apple vision pro and the recent impressive advances in generative ai is learning on the cusp of something completely different from what's come before it this week's guest on next in queue is david wentworth who spent nearly two decades as a learning technology analyst before recently joining Skooks, a workplace learning platform. We discuss why learning professionals have been slow to adopt new technologies, how YouTube changed learning, the simplest change organizations can easily make to supercharge learning, how virtual reality and the metaverse will impact learning, how generative AI will impact learning, and tips on selecting an LMS for your organization. Let's get to it. Welcome to Next in Q, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy Two Vision. Eliminate blind spots and see right through every conversation with Happy Two Vision. Learn more at HAPPITU.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Next in Q. Today, we're going to go back to uh, my old roots in the training world because we are talking with David Wentworth, who is an evangelist of all things uh, learning and development at a company called Skooks. Welcome to the show, David. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be next in the queue. Looking forward to it. You know what? I've been waiting for someone to just take that little thing and use it at the beginning of a show. You can't the be first to do that. You're the first. It's one, it's one of my favorite things in the world when you're there and someone says next and it's you. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. yeah. So you're the first. Congratulations. Right. Appreciate that. Up on the name and, and you went with it. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> so um, you started your career in this space as an analyst, I gather. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Let's talk about there. 
I feel like as with a lot of technologies, jargon gets in the way and people get confused about this, that, and the other, and we all kind of have our silos. So, so let's talk a little bit about uh, some jargon and kind of clear things up. And let's start with the good old LMS. What um, does that mean in your world? Good. I'm glad you picked one that I know. I was afraid you were going to start throwing out acronyms that I wasn't familiar with. So yeah, yeah, LMS, you know, learning management system. Um, and when you think about learning, training, and technology, that's really the the core foundational one that most people are familiar with. Um, but what it is and what it does has probably changed dramatically over the last 10, then five, then three, and probably even over the last year or so. Um, so yeah, and a whole lot more jargon has been thrown in in the meantime, for sure. But, you know, to me, the idea of an LMS and, you know, you'll go out there and you'll see one side of the spectrum is, you know, the death of the LMS, it's over, you don't need one. And then the other end of the spectrum is you can't function without it. And really the reality is somewhere in the middle, but probably closer to you kind of need something like this to function. If you do want to adequately and develop your people, you're going to need some sort of tool that helps you do that. And so at the core of it, the LMS, really what it's about is just making sure that you have a, a, a simplified way to manage all the people that you're trying to train, the things that you're trying to train them on, connecting those two things, and then looking to see what has happened, right? And that's the the management part. And I think that's the, the piece of it that people have been trying to throw away over the last few years, because really nobody likes the idea of managing stuff. At the you know, it's, it's the one part of that acronym that people don't like, but really that's what it's technology is supposed to be doing. It's supposed to be automating, simplifying. And so to me, that's really it. And all the other stuff that's been going on, you know, in the meantime, off of that, it still comes from that, that, that basic core. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about then maybe the last 10 years, what's different or what what changes have you seen come out of that space in the last 10 years? Where were we 10 years ago? Well, sometimes my memory gets fuzzy. I almost wanted to say we were still doing CD-ROMs 10 years ago, but that's not true, is it? <laughs> um, so we're, that's only, what, that's only 2013. So, I mean, where the big difference was is you could look at an organization's learning technology, like if you look at their learning budget, and there would be a line item for technology, there would be one thing there, maybe two, if they had an authoring tool, a separate authoring tool. Um, but that's it, right? That's learning technology by default equals LMS. That's really all that's going on. Now it's, well, sure, we have the LMS, but we also decided we wanted to add a layer on top of that. So we got ourselves an LXP, learning experience platform, um, or we also have a micro learning tool that feeds into that. And, you know, we actually have figured out a way to digitize some of our coaching. So that's in that space too. And so what has happened is the space has um, fragmented and broadened immensely and then the lines that used to exist in the silos of this tool does this, this tool does this, this those have completely been obliterated as well. So it, it it's made for a very interesting period of time, um, but very confusing and hard to sort of pin down. And, and I feel for a lot of the professionals in that space who are looking to, you know, put together a technology ecosystem, because right when you think you've got your, your you know, head wrapped around it, something changes. And and it's really hard to sort of pull the trigger and commit that, you know, this is what we're going to do for the foreseeable future. 
because let's be face it, if you've ever put technology into an organization, you can't just drop it in on Monday and say, hopefully by Friday, everyone likes it. And if not, we'll do something new the following Monday, right? It's, you got to kind of pick something, commit, and hopefully have a plan for the future. So it's just, it's been very hard to do that with how fast everything's been evolving for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There is, I think as well, a, like people in the learning space, I think this is not maybe true anymore, but traditionally have kind of shied away from technology in some ways and weren't as willing to embrace things to help them uh, manage learning the way that maybe technology was embraced in other pieces of the business. Did, did you see that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's obviously a generalization, but that's what we're doing, right? And I think you're right that 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 has been a bit tech, learn the learning side of things has been maybe a step or two behind most other, especially when you look at things that are more forward facing or outward facing, like sales and marketing and their ravenous appetite for technology and tools. Yeah, learning's maybe been a little bit slow, but it's also, um, you know, it's it, you've been burned by the stove once or twice. You tend to say, well, let me just see how this is going to work out before I put all my eggs in this basket. Um, but I, I think part of it is that if you go back far enough, um, as, as great as technology has been, you know, and it always changes, <clears throat> there was a period where you could only do so much, right? So the technology in some ways was actually limiting. And so learning professionals say, well, if we implement this particular technology, then we're only going to be able to do this because the technology is going to shape what we do. And, you know, look, learning is a very human thing. It's, um, you know, it's very dynamic. So they get a little worried about being in this box. That feeling is still around, although everything has changed completely now that there's technology, there's so much different technology available that you can bend the technology to your will now, right? Like your idea of what the perfect learning environment should be for your particular organization, you could go out and put that together tomorrow and we'll do whatever it is you want it to do. So the coin is kind of flipped where technology is no longer shaping the learning experience. The learning experience is shaping the technology. It just takes a while for everyone to sort of you know, to catch up to that and put that in place. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Can you talk about some of the format changes? I think when a lot of people, uh, certainly when I think back as to when I first got into the training world, really everything was a PowerPoint and then maybe some hands-off. That's kind of the way things went. Can you talk mm. about the evolution of just the different types of content and delivery methods that have occurred over, say, the past 15-ish years? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the not as much has changed as you would think. Um, <laughs> there's, there's still a lot of focus on in-person instructor-led classroom training. And click through PowerPoint based learning. It's not necessarily a PowerPoint. They've you know added some some features, but it all started its life as a PowerPoint somewhere, and all these other things were added in. So for the majority of stuff, it's it actually still is like that. It's um the experiences have gotten a bit better, but we do see organizations trying to do different things. And of course, you know, kind of goes without saying, we all lived through it. The pandemic that changed everything. You know, what I've like you mentioned, I've been an analyst in this field for over 15 years and um in-person instructor-led classroom training was the number one way organizations deliver training without a doubt 
at all by a, by a huge margin. And then you get to 2020 and suddenly they can't, they, they can't do it. Even though there was a lot of talk prior to that about, boy, we'd, it'd be great if we could evolve, do things differently. There's all this technology we can use, but nobody was really full, full on doing it. And then they were forced to. And um, what you saw in the short term was, a, you know, well, then let's make everything PowerPoint based and put it out there. Uh, but then there's been this evolution of like, all right, what's our strategy going forward, right? Like we've learned there's a lot of stuff we can do without relying on the classroom. And it's actually as good or better in specific use cases. Now, obviously, a lot of organizations want to get back to as much in-person as they can. And I'm I'm all for it. I've never been one of these death of the classroom people. I think there's a real, there's a lot of value to getting people together in the same physical space. I don't know if technology is going to ever replace that in my lifetime, but um, the the act of actually physically being in the same room with people, um, very important. It's just, how do we do that, right? Are we actually do thinking more about it? Instead of it just being the default, are we saying, let's make an interesting experience, let's leverage that interactivity to a new degree and instead of just simply talking at a bunch of people in a room, which you don't need to do. Um, so, you know, to me, that's that's been the, the big shift from a modality standpoint is the classroom is no longer king. Uh, it's very, very important, and we're finding new ways to do it and then fit it into a bigger picture and bringing all these other elements in of, um, you know, the, the biggest thing is like this idea of micro learning. And you can call it whatever you want, performance support, micro learning, or don't call it anything at all. The idea is that you're just giving people what they need when they need it as they're doing their job, right? So the idea is learning is no longer this separate experience from my job where I am ex employee and I have this particular job that I do. I now have to stop doing that job so I can go to this training and then I'll take part in this training, whether I physically go or I open an app or whatever and click through it. Now I'm done with that. I can go back to being the employee who does this job. We're trying to get away from that where all the things that you use to do your job, this is one of those, right? It's a tool to help you do your job. So I'm going to drop you the knowledge that you need when you need it, something to refresh your memory um, when you're right there in the, in the face of it. So you see a lot more of that. And that to me has been the biggest dramatic change of this nibbling away of these this big chunk of thing that we call learning and turning it into more um, you know, a, of a tool um, and just uh, you know, helping people support them in their job. How much do you think YouTube has influenced that that change of attitude? If at all, a, a, a lot and almost I almost say not enough in the sense that I don't think learning leaders recognized that influence as much as learners themselves did. Right. I think I mean, I, I have my own personal anecdote on this where I lived in an apartment building. The There was noise coming from the apartment above me, um, went up there and one of the neighbors said, oh, that apartment's empty. Nobody lives in it. And it had the same front door lock as my apartment. So I literally thought that picking a lock was a, a movie joke, like something you put in movies that you, know, you can't really do that. But you said, I watched a YouTube video and I, just tools I had at home, an Allen key and a screwdriver. I watched for that specific lock. In less than two minutes from not thinking that it was an actual thing you could do, two minutes later, I was standing in the apartment. It was a plumbing valve that I had to turn off. But the idea that you could go from this thing isn't real, you can't do that. I just did it from YouTube. I mean, why are, that's how life should be. That's how people yeah. live their lives today. And I don't understand why we're not giving them that at work. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's that I can see how it's done and then immediately apply 
what may not yet be a skill, but maybe after I do it once or twice, it becomes a skill. Uh, even if yeah. it's not finely honed, it's good enough to get the job done. Yeah. Or in, in for a lot of cases in that particular kind of learning, it isn't even just, I, I watch this thing. I, I think about it. I, I read it. I answer some questions. Then I go do the thing, which is okay. No, I'm actually looking at it while I'm doing the thing. Right. Yeah. I'm actually actively going, Oh, this goes there. I mean, that kind of learning is it's, it's so amazing. And um, yeah, you know, the fear is, Oh, well, we want people to be able to retain it. Well, yeah, you can train people on stuff up front, then give them what they need over time. And then that actually helps them retain that knowledge as they go forward. So they're not constantly having to pull out a device or relook something up when they're trying to do their job. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about devices. Uh, I, I, you know, when LMS was first introduced to me, it was absolutely always a, you sit at your desk, you're on a computer, and that's mm -hmm. how you interact with it. Where's that at today? Still pretty much the norm, um, unfortunately, too, because, you know, in, in my life as an analyst, we do a lot of research and a lot of studies and data, and you just understand what organizations are doing. And you get into this mindset where you talk of, about these nebulous things called organizations. And then in your brain, an organization is this big building that has a bunch of cubicles and a bunch of people sitting at computers. Well, that's true for some organizations, but a lot, maybe most, are not like that. You've got people who are actually doing jobs out there in the shop, in a store, in a restaurant, on, on a machine shop floor, deskless workers, as they call them. And these are people that aren't necessarily sitting at a computer and have a time to, to click these open. So yes, there has been an explosion of, you know, uh, thinking about using different devices where the tablet, mobile phone, obviously. Um, and of course the technology has gotten so much better with between bandwidth, mobile um, data, right? I don't, it used to be a big issue. It's like, well, we gotta be careful with data limits and people, okay, well, things are mostly Wi-Fi. Most data plans are unlimited. So the, the, the opportunities have expanded greatly. The processing power in your phone is ridiculous now for most people. Um, and so you can do a lot of these things, but the, the key is on the front end, are we creating learning experiences that are that are specific to that, to mobile, right? So it isn't so much like, like let's take everything we do and replicate it on a mobile device. It, that was the thinking at the beginning was like, oh, everything's gonna be mobile, mobile, mobile. It's a, it's a use case, it's very specific. Not mm -hmm. everything needs to be done on a mobile device. Not everything should be done on a mobile device, but when it, should be when it makes sense let's create it specifically for that environment what does the interactivity look like what are the buttons like how am i using it am i using the camera on the phone am i using the geolocation features of a phone where you're either locked in or locked out of a particular program based on where you are there's just a lot of cool opportunities and you see that in these these sort of deskless worker environments taking advantage of that where somebody on a machine shop floor can take their device scan a QR code on a machine and get the latest updates on how that machine works, what they should do, how they should clean it. Um, and I've seen it, especially for like uh, field technicians in um, cable TV, internet, they're out there and they're dealing with devices like the, the, the equipment that's out there. Some of it's from yesterday, some of it's 10 years old, right. everything in between. And they can't be expected to know how to look at every single one of those things, but they can scan a code on the device, understand what they need to do. Um, so yeah, I think, device uh, specificities have gotten uh, very important. Um, it was fun to watch sort of the, uh, is it Apple? Is it Android? Is it something? I mean, it sounds crazy to talk about now, but there was a time where it was like, oh, do we have to build everything twice, three times, four times? 
Um, Android devices, there's all different kinds of form factors. And you've just watched over the years is all the phones, whether it's Apple or Android or what, they all sort of gelled into this uh, very similar uh, form factor. So that's made it much easier too. Yeah, for sure. And there was a one time even Windows phone. That, that yeah, was a I, thing, I, kids. <laughs> <laughs> was it, And there was the, who was that at the Symbian operating system? I can't remember yeah. Blackberry, but somebody else, there was like a another mobile operating system out there that people were building for back in the early days when when it was the wild west of, <laughs> exactly. of smartphones so i want to talk about what's coming or or maybe not what's coming what's here but underutilized and then we'll talk about what's coming so let's start mm. with what are some of the things that we can do today with the right lms that Maybe people aren't even aware of that this is a thing that could really radically change the way um, the learning happens in their organization. Yeah. So it's funny because for me, when I, I think about these things, it doesn't seem that radical because I try to think about them all the time. But looking at organizations and what's going on and what's actually in practice. So I hope this doesn't sound um, too rudimentary for, for the listeners, but it's... Uh, the idea is it's like personalization of learning. I know it sounds very almost a given, but it's not happening to a degree that it could. And the technology now allows us to do that. And people are very accustomed to personalized technology experiences everywhere else in their lives, very accustomed to it. And we've sort of gotten over the hump of, um, well, I don't want any the, this technology to know anything about me. I, you know, the privacy concerns. Now there's legit privacy concerns, GDPR in the, in the, in the UK, uh, Europe and all that which need to be addressed. But the idea that, listen, if you want the technology to do what you want it to do, you it needs to know at least a little bit about you. If, I, if I'm standing in the middle of a city that I haven't been before and I want to know where a good coffee shop is, I want to know the ones that are right there, not ones that are 400 miles away, right? So just to that degree. And the technology now is available to create these learning experiences that aren't just hi, employee 4,886, here's all the 12 things that everybody has to do. It's more about, hey, here's who you are, Here's where you come from. Here's where you're going. Here's what you know. Here's maybe what you don't know. Here are the things you need. Here are some things you might want. And um, also connecting you to other people in the same situation. It's, you know, it's the consumer experience now. That's what, you know, people always talk about Netflix as, a, as an example. Um, but most technology uh, experiences, Amazon shopping, have a kernel of that to them. And I think companies could do a lot more to that because, Everyone, when we talk about learning, they get very hung up on, oh, we got to engage the learners. How do we engage learners, get learner engagement? But they're thinking about it way late in the process. They're waiting. They're thinking, once somebody opens this e-learning module, how do I make it engaging? Well, did you engage them before they even clicked on that? Like, did you let them know why it's important, how, what it means to them? You know, what does this look like in the grand scheme of things? What they're going to get out of it, what they should probably know how to do when it's done. If you haven't done any of that, it doesn't matter what kind of cool colors and buttons you have in there. They're already sort of disengaged and you're fighting this uphill battle because they're like, Ugh, another training module I got to take. So if you can take your technology, which will amass all of this stuff that lets you know who's what and where and how, and you can create that story, you know, you've sort of won the the adoption and engagement battle. Yeah. I mean, there's an element of marketing to oh, getting totally. people to learn, right? 
hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you, you definitely, if you've got a, a solid marketing team in your organization, talk to them. They know how to reach people. They know how to get people engaged and, and responding to things. And, and um, you know, obviously you don't need to bring it full circle to make it feel like you're really pitching your employees super hard on the learning, but the idea of what are the tools and tactics to engage people and then keep them engaged, right? You've heard of things like they call it a drip campaign. Like we're constantly coming back at you and reminding you of things. Why aren't we doing that in learning? Right. So yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely a good point. Okay. In the next five years, will we, or won't we all be learning in the metaverse? Oh yeah. That's a no. Like that was easy. <laughs> next question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was definitely on the no metaverse bandwagon, um, from, from the get go. I'm and I'm sorry. And may, Hey, eventually someone's going to prove me wrong, but we'll see because VR has been around since the eighties and it, we keep talking about it. Like it's going to, Oh, we're going to live in this world. We don't. Um, that's not to say that virtual reality doesn't play a, a, have a, a great role in learning. And there's a really cool, awesome examples, really powerful uh, impactful examples of it being used, but the idea that we're going to live a big chunk of our lives inside this place with the headset on. And then, you know, obviously metaverse was such a big topic. Facebook changed their name to meta. And it was, this was, their, was it last month or two that they pulled the plug already? So, you know, I found a little bit of vindication in that, uh, but you know, the, the technology has gotten very good compared to where it's been. It's gotten cheaper. So that's one of the big hurdles. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of cool, like very practical applications of it, right? It's no longer, how do I put my employees on Mars? It's it's no, how do I, well, first you see like compliance training or dangerous situation training. Like how do I put somebody literally like okay, in a burning building without putting them in a burning mm. building? Okay, that's a great way. How do I put them on um, a skeletal sky rise that we're building and see if they're okay with that? I, I've seen that an example of it where they won't even invest the training dollars in somebody if they can't handle the simulation of going up in the elevator and going out yeah. on the beam because they know, well, you're definitely not going to be able to handle it in real life. So why are we going to try to train you out there? So things like that. But now you're starting to see it go in like, well, how do I handle a difficult conversation with an employee? Well, we can do that mm -hmm. in VR. How do I manage customer interactions without actually blowing it with a real customer? We can do that in VR. Um, DE&I, diversity, equity, inclusion. Can I put somebody actually in somebody else's shoes for an experience. Yes, you can. So there's the the types of things you can do with it are getting very um, cool, practical, and specific. So I, I, I'm not saying virtual reality will never happen. I just, metaverse, I, I don't see it. Yeah, I do think those some of those specific use cases that you just laid out, there are some really cool applications for virtual reality. I think the the question is. And this will, the equation will change over time is, is it worth the investment, the cost to create these specific use cases that we can deal with in our organization? And for some, the answer may be yes today. And for others, it may be, eh, not really, but maybe in three or four years, that will change because at, like everything, right? The costs come down over time yeah. yep and and you know the building stuff that 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 cost equation has come around like i think it's cheap enough to either hire someone to build it or they have plenty of tools you can build that kind of environment yourself internally it's the hardware right now like 
companies have hard, you know, it's hardware, it's physical. It's sometimes harder to say, I'm going to buy this thing and it's going to sit here and we have to use it so many times. And am I going to, am I going to buy one and a bunch of people use it? Am I going to buy 30 and have 30 people take it at a time? What's it going to be? It really just depends, you know, on the organization. But again, like that cost was coming down. Of course, then like with all technology, the new one comes out and it's four times more expensive than the old one. And nobody wants the old one now. So <laughs> someone's going to have to figure that out. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so next uh, obligatory question. Will we need to learn anything when ChatGPT is answering all the world's questions for us? For sure, we will. I mean, the generative AI is just is like anything else, just a tool. Um, and it's only as smart as we made it. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a naysayer or, or a Luddite in this at all. I, I, I get the power of what's happening here, but we have to recognize it for what it, what it is. And it's, um, it's a really, really good search tool that can synthesize a lot of information rapidly, right? So that's, that is something that um, humans are good at, but not efficient at. So they're, they're, that's, uh, that's great. But anything that something like a chat DPT or a bard or what are the other six dozen things that came out last week? Um, what they're giving you is a view of whatever already exists because that's all they know. They only know what already exists. Um, this idea, and it maybe this will happen soon, but the idea that they're going to create something or, you know, it's called generative AI, but is it really, is it generating something new? Is it innovative? No. So that's, I think, where humans can come in. I think this might be one of the few times where, you know, in technology, they say, well, it's going to save you all this time and all this effort. That might actually be true for once. Like you might mm -hmm. actually be able to, to give yourself sort of a foundation. I need to create this thing. And then you get all this sort of background legwork that can be done in, in an instant. And um, so I think the real key, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about this right now already. The next big skill is, okay, are you uh, an AI prompt generator, right? Are you very good? Yeah. And it's like, can you ask the right question in the right way to get the information that's going to get you what you want? So I just think the key with this stuff is to pay attention to it for sure, but be realistic about it. Like, don't just, and we see this in learning tech all the time. I've just been at a couple of events where vendors such as ourselves will have all these booths around and all these other booths, you know, that you see them, AI this, AI that, it'll be in the name. And for the most part, they're doing something most likely machine learning is baked in there. It's not full on, you know, executable AI where the thing is doing something based on what it knows. It's still just presenting the humans with information saying you should do something with this. Um, but we need to be aware of what it is, but we also have enough of awareness to say, how is it going to work for me? What is it that I'm going to need um, to have it done? I can't just say, hey, does your tool have AI? Yes. Okay. And then we move on. It's like, well, what is it going to do? What's it drawing from? for its knowledge and its answers. Where's all that information coming from? So just getting under to understand what it means, don't buy into the sort of overhyped nature of it, but recognize it for, for what it is. And I think you'll get the most value out of it. Yeah, I do wonder, could it be used for content creation? So when we talk about the stuff in the LMS, as far as self-paced learning materials, is there going to be a point where we could say, look, I need, a module on this with these specific parameters and I want it, you know, interactive and video based, if it wouldn't be able to just generate something pretty good for us to oh, start yeah. with. 
I mean, yes. And you can look at some examples that are out there in sort of the commercial space of people playing with this stuff. But at the end of the day, I mean, there's one and I encourage people to take a look at the uh, AI generated beer commercial because it's uh, it, it, it's uncanny valley stuff where the, the core of what you would expect it to be is there. But it's bathed in this nightmare sort of world. <laughs> the computer doesn't know what, you know, one thing from the other. So it's. That's where we're at. And so, yes, you're right. You can create, but it, what that is, is a building block, right? Like this is something I want to do. So you could, you could wipe out weeks of groundwork in a moment to build this thing, this basic building block. And then you can take that and say, okay, let's make it look like this. Let's change that. But yeah. for sure, um, content generation is great because what you, what it'll do with the right tool is pull from all of the resources, right? Visual, video, interactivity, topic, content, voice, all of it and pull it together for you. And then you can sort of pick and choose how you want to do it. So I think there is definitely a lot of potential there. It's just, again, you know, what level of um, intervention do you want to have as, as a human, yeah. as you put it in there? So I want to switch gears a little bit because we've been talking about like the cool stuff, but maybe we should talk about some of the boring stuff. And that is, if I am going to go shopping for an LMS, let's say my organization has gotten to a point where I need to find an LMS, um, and I've gone through this process myself, what things are actually more likely to be edge cases and what features are the things that I really need to be focused on because I'm probably going to use them. Mm. Can you help like explain like, because I, with any software, right? Bells, whistles, all the shiny yeah. little knobs and features that you've got. But what are the things that people actually use like the 90%? Sure. Yeah, it's very easy to get wrapped up in sort of a features functions checklist and an RFP and say, look, these are the 12 things I know that an LMS should have. Do you have them? Right. And it's gotten a little bit commoditized in that space that there's rarely going to be a player out there that's going to say, oh, sorry, we don't have that or do that. So that's not enough. And it really comes down to wh what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Right. So, I mean, so from your the the core of your question, I think the key things to look at are what is the, the user interface look like, right? Just, just start there. Don't, for a long time, providers focused on ease of use, but it was very much admin side, right? Because that's who they were selling yeah. to and that's who they're talking to. It's like, I'm going to make your life super easy. Sign me up, right? No, it's, it's, the, it's the end user, right? The customer. Is it, how is it for them? Um, is it very intuitive? Is it simple? Is Because look, you're asking a lot of people, right? You're asking them to devote this time to you. Uh, how does that work? So you got to get a good sense of that, but also through the lens of who your organization is and who your audience is, right? So don't just go for what specifically you think, right? Just kind of come from that degree. I think the other big piece is um, reporting and analytics. They all have it. What does that look like? What kind of reporting can you do? What kind of data can you pull from other places? So you're actually answering questions rather than just generating completion rates. Um, and then the last thing is, I want to say integrations, but it's 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 not as scary as that sounds. It's really just about how is that tool going to talk to the systems I already have or I'm planning to have um, that I need it to, to talk to, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be a full-blown integration where these things are now like this. It's simply about maybe I just need to get data from this thing. I need to get a feed from it. Or maybe it is like a Salesforce. Can this thing live with inside Salesforce? Again, 
Everything is specific to your organization. That's how you have to approach everything. Your demos, don't let the vendor come in and give you a, a generic demo because it's going to be awesome. They know where all the cool things are. You want them to show you how is it going to do this thing I need it to do. And so this is where we start to branch away from your, your specific question about what are the things to look for because the ones I just mentioned. But then everything has to be through this lens of what's happening in my organization right now? Why am I looking for a tool? Do I have a tool that I currently that I don't like? Why don't I like it? Or is there, we don't have a tool and what's happening because of it. So you start to frame things like that. Like, well, I need people to be able to do X, Y, Z. Okay, start there. Is a tool going to be able to allow you to do that? Is your tool going to help people do things better, faster, stronger within this context? So it's really about thinking things through from that point. Like not just, well, we have to have an LMS and these are the you know eight requirements that we know we need. That's important, but you have to really have uh, a better feeling for it. And again, also, the, these technology decisions I was mentioning at the, at the top of this, it's you make this decision, you kind of have to live with it. So yeah. um, making sure that you're picking somebody who's invested in your success too, right? Is like, are you my partner in this? You didn't just sell me this thing and, and now you're gone. It's not only are you going to support the tool if I need it, but you're going to support me. And you're going to help me as we go through and things that come up and how I want to plan my future. Are you a, a partner like that? And I think that's something you're starting to see from providers that didn't exist before that level of partnership. It used to be, oh, we've got a 24-hour support desk you can submit a ticket to, right? Good to have, but is there something more? Yeah, absolutely. It can be a very uh, daunting task. And I think the advice that you're giving is really critical because we can all often default to that checklist. Like, I just need to make sure I've got these features and maybe uh, you don't know what to look for. If your experience is pretty limited, you don't know necessarily the questions that you should be asking or thinking about the specific problems that you're trying to overcome. Maybe someone just said, hey, we need to find an LMS. So here are all the features we need. Go go vet some. Yep. That's could end well for you. It could also end in a really, really bad situation. It it's uh, I've I've heard it a lot. You know these decisions that get made, and um, like again, these dec you know more than a decade as an analyst talking to companies about how uh, you talk to learning leaders, and some technology was pushed on them from some other part of the organization. You said, well, we have this relationship, or we decided cost was the most important thing, so we bought this thing here, use it, and it mm -hmm. makes everyone's life miserable. But you have to move on. So um, yeah, it is a very difficult decision, and especially you know going back to the top of our conversation, how complex the entire space has gotten. You know, am yeah. I get it? Do I need an LMS, an LXP, both an LCMS, and that's just on and on and on acronyms. So there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. So aside from the things that we've talked about today. What's the most exciting thing that's either here or on the horizon from your perspective that's that's happening in, in that space? I mean, I, I think, um, you know, some of the things we talked about is, for, you know, whatever is the most exciting. I don't see anything um, sort of more interesting than what generative AI could mean used the right ways in, in these situations, because I think even the leaders in that space, the 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 open AI chat GPT, there's it's evolving, you know. Um, and then you've got uh and then, and then they they have a Microsoft relationship now. So what does that mean for moving forward? And and Google has their BARD uh now and you know, and, and then the different branches of it of what some are are um large language models, and it's really about sort of either speaking or typing back and forth to a thing, but then you've got uh generative 
images, generative video, generative audio. Um, mm -hmm. What does that mean? Um, you know, are we going to be hearing songs generated this way and they're going to, you know, be on our playlists? I don't know. So from a learning perspective, it's going to be interesting to see what that does, because it will, I, I said before, I'm not a naysayer. It's definitely going to have an impact and it's going to shape how we do things. I'm just curious to see how. So to me, that's kind of exciting. Um, I think I already touched on the personalization. I think that's exciting to me. I know just to see how far we can take that um, to the degree that it's useful um, until, you know, we, you know, you want to stop short before of it becoming gimmicky. Um, but how, how much we can explore that. Um, but I think probably the most exciting thing would be something I, that we're not aware of yet. Right. I, mm -hmm. um, and I don't know what that is, obviously. So I'm sure there's something because things it's every time you think you've hit that point of, well, everything's evolved so rapidly. There can't be, you're not going to surprise me. And then something comes and it surprises you. So, yeah. Let's talk about uh, something that I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into because you've talked about this personalization. Is there today a way that organizations can use the tools that they have to generate kind of that personalized journey? Or are we still in a situation where things are pretty prescriptive and we rely on people to kind of lay out a learning journey and, you know, from from point A to point B and then to point C as as people are moving through an organization and maybe moving into different roles? Yeah. So I think in practice we're a little bit of the latter still like that's that's everything is just still pretty prescriptive but i think the the tools and knowledge and information to change that already exist in the organization all of this stuff exists somewhere this idea of who people are as an employee right you know who they are where they came from where they're going hopefully or at the moment because that could change um you know hopefully what they know and what they don't know um, prior knowledge, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you look at, I mean, most organizations will have some sort of performance management process in place. So you kind of know people's trajectory from that standpoint. That feeds into learning, right? What do people need help with? Um, we know uh, from a career development standpoint, hopefully, like where you, you see people maybe are high potentials or they're on this particular career path. You should know from an organizational standpoint, what's our organizational readiness? Like, where do I have gaps? Where do I think I need people to be so I can fill these things internally? Um, there's a lot of talk in the space about skills, has been for a couple of years. How do we identify skills? How do we build the skills? How do we tie the skills to people? Um, that's still a big work in progress because most organizations, they start to think about these things and then they turn outward and they say, find me this big list of skills that I can bring into them. But it's not. Every list of skills is unique to every organization because even if you could call it the same thing, it means something different from one organization to the next. So figuring out all that, but all of that information exists in some way. And it's the, the key, the critical piece of it is how do we pull it together? What tools do we use to pull these things together and what proportions to create this employee experience overall, part of which is learning. Um, and I, I think that's the key. You know, companies talk a lot about this gets into the reporting and analytics of learning and like, well, how do I demonstrate learning is having an impact on this or that? All of that exists. Your company's already tracking whether or not people are good at their jobs. Your company's already tracking whether or not sales are up or down. Your company's already tracking whether people are um, 
their time to productivity is short. They're up and running within 60, 90 days. All of these things are being tracked somewhere. It's just a question of finding out from the business, hey, what's important to you? What matters? You know, if, if this happens or that happens, and then have figuring out how can I make that happen from learning? And then can I demonstrate that because a learning intervention took place or a program rolled out, that thing happened. Um, learning professionals are very afraid to claim ownership of any sort of business impact. They always say, well, there's too many other variables. It was a very hot summer. And, uh, you know, but, you know, you do all this work, you need to claim your piece of, of that impact. And if you think about it in those terms from the get-go, you'll have sort of that, uh, that backup at the time to say, look, well, I know it's not a hundred percent because of us, but we did this, this happened. So like I said, it's just uh, the key is figuring out where all those things are, how they work together, pulling them together um, and making it work. And it's hard because sometimes it's owned by people who um, don't want to give it up, or maybe you don't even know where it is, but uh, it's, it's a big piece of the, uh, the process. You mentioned a phrase that is becoming more and more popular in particular over the last three years, but I wonder if the narrative has changed in the in the learning industry, and that's employee experience slash employee engagement. Mm-hmm. Are those were those terms as prevalent when we were talking about the impact of learning prior to 2020? I mean, or are they really just way more in the forefront today? I think they're more on the forefront. It's just an evolution. Um, I don't think it's a, a drastic uh, about face by any means. I think it's been a progression. Um, and I think what the pandemic does is it just really hypercharged everybody's approach to everything, you know, and, mm-hmm. and employee experience became actually very important because it was like people were, you know, isolated or new to remote work. And there was a lot of human issues going on at that time. It was like, oh, how do we help with that, right? And so that becomes a big piece. And like, well, hey, we're, we're thinking about these things. We're trying to take care of these things. Maybe we should just continue to do that, even though we're sort of post-pandemic, if depending on where you look. But why don't we continue to, to focus on those things? So it has become a more cohesive thing, mm. thought process, I think. And learning is finally coming around to, hey, it isn't just about, can we train someone how to deal with the situation? helpful but is the way we're engaging people is it part of that right is that engagement the way we're addressing are we taking all these things into consideration and um you know if you go back to when everyone's freaking out about the great resignation the idea as well you know D is a really big part of why people stay places because they feel as though personally they're being developed and invested in and they feel like they're growing that they, they it recognizes the organization's commitment to the talent says, look, we care about you. You know, you would hear from CEOs in the past say, well, why am I going to develop all these people when the turnover is X percent and they're just going to leave anyway? Okay, maybe they're going to leave, but while they're here, maybe get the most out of folks while they're here. And maybe they stay longer because you felt like you developed them. And yeah, maybe they go somewhere else. Well, that's okay. You got, you know, you, you've helped grow that person while they're with you. So I think there's a, an opening to that too, right? This idea of, I don't need to just train for this thing I need done tomorrow. It's let's really help people uh, on a broader spectrum grow and develop. Yeah. It seems to me too, that we talk a lot about company culture and if people leave, right, they have a specific impression of company culture and it's really easy for them to share that impression with other potential new hires down the road. And so the more that you can 
cultivate a culture that says, hey, we do value your development, even if someone leaves, they can have an impact on the impressions that people have that are considering coming to your company. Yeah. And that's that there's a big win there. Totally. I mean, you look at some of the more high turnover industries and environments like retail or or food service, those frontline workers, they're just a given that the turnover is high, given the nature of the job and the and the audience. But those organizations spend more time, money, and energy on that kind of training of I'm going to help develop you and we're going to give you what you need to be successful because the payoff for them is the people that stick while they're there are doing the job and they're doing it well. And then the people that stick around are that much better and that much more invested in and grow with the company and help lead uh, in the future. So, you know, this idea that, well, we can't develop people if they're going to leave the, the companies that have people leaving the most, are, they're the ones paying the most attention to these things. Yeah. Well, I think that's really where we should leave things is focus on developing people because the benefits, number one, you can absolutely quantify them, right? And if you don't know how to get into the reporting of your existing LMS system, go explore. There's probably a YouTube video that will show you how to do that. Right. You can go from two minutes from thinking you can't do it to, to doing it on your own. Right. right. David, I really appreciate your time today. It was a really engaging conversation. And Thank uh, thanks thanks for sharing your insights with the audience. Happy to do it. Great to talk to you. And, um, you know, I don't know if I'm seeing all the uh, the Star Wars. I, I do have the Mandalorian helmet way up in the back there. So Yeah, that's nice. You know, the one thing I do want to ask you about, if uh, maybe I can learn this from you, is how to get my gorgeous mane back because I see oh. that you've got above my pay grade, I think. Okay. But you, well, you have my 1994 hair and I really yeah. would like to have it back. You have definitely outdone me on the, on the beard front though, my friend, I don't think I can manage that. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a compensation thing. That's That's, it's one or the other, right? Yeah. <laughs> David, uh, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. Next in queue is brought to you by happy to, and is produced by me, Rob Dwyer. If you enjoy this podcast, please, by all means, subscribe and or rate this podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. But more importantly, please tell just one person about this podcast. Word of mouth is the best way for people to discover new content. As always, thanks for listening.